0: This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. The strength of our democracy depends significantly on the strength of our educational institutions. Marcus and I have had a number of conversations about education. We're going to return to that topic today in a conversation with Copeland Rudolph, the Executive Director of the Asheville City Schools Foundation. Stay tuned, and we'll be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. Glad to be back here in the studio. Glad to have you all join us in the audience. And once again, I'm really happy to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Hart. Hey, Yeah, nice to be here to discuss a topic that is near to, near and dear to both our hearts, and, education. And I'm wondering if that is because we're educated. It might right? be. <laughs> it might be. So we're a bit I don't know. we're a bit biased <laughs> here. Marcus, I tell you, you know, it, it really and we we have emphasized so much about the importance of education to a free society. Mm -hmm. You know, the strength of our society really is dependent upon Mm -hmm. on how educated the citizenry is. And we're not the only ones who've said that. That goes all the way back to the founding of the republic itself. Mm -hmm. People like Jefferson, Madison, you know, even we could – find people like uh, uh, Jane 14 who was an African American who was free living in Philadelphia at the time of the American Revolution and he was one of the people who argued this as well in fact he would have people who would come from his family who would be educators uh, later on Yeah, and and not
1: even just the the strength of a society but the capacity of a society to grow I think is is directly dependent upon um, the education of that society And, and by education I don't mean education Simply into specific vocations, mm-hmm. uh, but but education into a kind of critical consciousness right. um, that. Uh, that is capable of asking questions that can move the society into conversations, difficult, challenging conversations about the
0: society's future. Yeah, so you're making yeah. the case for the liberal arts yeah, here, uh, in, so. in a big way, which yeah. we both, you know, we both are uh, a part of an institution that focuses on the liberal arts, and we know that that's fundamentally important. But when we think about education, too, Marcus, you and I have talked about how access to education mm. has been very limited, mm. or has been denied to some. Mm. A perfect example of this—we've talked about this before—is Fred- Frederick Douglass. And but how important. Education became to him, and finding unique ways to actually educate himself. Mm-hmm. I think about other figures too within the African American tradition, like Carter G. Woodson, mm-hmm. uh, Booker T. Washington, and you read their stories and how they struggled for that education. I think it's it's, it's very inspirational to think about those stories. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And when you think it, you know, think of examples like you know Frederick Douglass, for example. Um, Uh, you know for douglas you know education really was about his very existence Mm -hmm. um he he understood that in order to survive american empire he would have to educate himself to quote malcolm x by any means necessary right and and i wonder i wonder to what degree
0: if any uh we've held on to that kind of radical commitment to education to
1: critical education and
0: marcus i wonder what what uh what impact, you know, because let me just put it this way. Education transforms people's lives. You and I both have talked about uh, the great W.E.B. Du Bois mm-hmm. and his book, The Souls of Black Folks. And I don't know how many it's of the members work. of our audience have read this book, but it's one of those books. It's one of the uh, the books in the American literary canon that should be mm-hmm. read, uh, read. And I've heard uh, one of my favorite historians, David Blight, actually say you shouldn't be a citizen of the United States if you've not read this also <laughs> (laughs) folks. But he has a chapter in there that you and I've talked a bit about Mm. of the coming of John and how John, you know, this is an interesting chapter. And it looks how education transforms this Mm. one particular figure's life. But what happens to him when he
1: comes back to his community? And John was transformed. But I think that John's educational experience affected what amounted to an experience of of social and cultural estrangement from his own community, mm-hmm. which I think is a lesson for for our community um, in 2019, and probably for other minoritized communities as well, which which has to do with. Um, finding ways to make sure that our educational experiences remain uh, remain connected to our communities mm-hmm. of origin mm-hmm. and that's a very tough task because right. you know in this country higher education is very very
0: white <laughs> yeah, you're right um, and, and and that makes this challenge I think all the more difficult but but nonetheless important it is yeah. and I, and I would like at some point you and I are going to have to come back and discuss this chapter absolutely in some detail it's because so I rich. think it, it is because yeah. it's still so relevant to where we are today but Marcus and I are looking forward to this this conversation with copeland and we're going to come back in just a moment and just jump into that conversation about education So, again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show, and I'm Darren Waters. We're here at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. Glad to have you all join us in the audience. And and I'm really, really happy and honored to have Copeland Rudolph here on the show with us. Copeland, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming in. Now, the one thing that I have to say about Copeland, Copeland and I have a bit of a history, right? We mm-hmm. grew up here in Asheville together, mm-hmm. uh, went to school, to elementary school for a while together, um, but then she became a traitor. She left. And, you know, I've joked with, <laughs> I, I, I joke with, with Copeland about this a bit, but Copeland, you know, yeah, we have this history, yeah. right? Here, uh, went to Biltmore School uh, together, yep. and then um, it, it, tell me again the story. Did you leave Asheville, your family leave Asheville for a while no, or did you you just no. left I just, the Buncombe County well, School? Well,
2: my mom was a assistant superintendent for the county school. She was director of special services. So I followed her in um, my elementary at Biltmore School and the beginning middle school and then transferred to Asheville High School, um, which was actually my mom's alma mater and my grandma's alma mater. But yes, I was a trader from the county to the city. So I left you at Robertson and went to Asheville High. Go Cougars. Well,
0: I've forgiven Copeland for that. And we're still really good friends. But we've had some really good conversations about your work in the community, things Mm -hmm. that you're doing. You know, our community has a lot of challenges. It's not just here in Asheville that we're experiencing Mm -hmm. challenges. But I think that if you look across the state and across the country, you see communities that are challenged. I mean, and And some of these uh, challenges, Copeland, you you can't be denied. They're really along the lines of race. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you and I had a conversation before. I I can't really tell you that the things and the challenges that I'm seeing today, that I saw them when we were coming up in school, seem to be a big difference. Am I just missing something there? Or what were your experiences?
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, it's interesting that – in the late '70s, um, early '80s, that our experience at Biltmore School, um, you know, I don't know if you had Mrs. Scott, but we, mm-hmm. you know, I we had some amazing teachers of color. Um, we had a very, you know, diverse classrooms, and for. Um, and, uh, ed- and
0: I'll say too, some strict teachers,
2: and some strict teachers. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> right. yeah, paddling was a thing. Um, <laughs> And but it was amazing leaving here, um, starting a family out west and in the Midwest, and then coming home in 2012, 2013, and walking into Asheville High School mm-hmm. and seeing the resegregation of um, our classrooms, to mm-hmm. see um, fewer teachers of color, to realize that my children are having a more segregated experience mm-hmm. than we did mm-hmm. in the late 70s that my children have had fewer teachers of color um than i did right. and it, that um you know when you leave home and you come home again you think oh my city will have progressed mm-hmm. things will have gotten better and it was a big shock um to come home and see that um things have gotten worse and the racial mm-hmm. achievement gap mm-hmm. to, you know to have the number one racial achievement gap in the state um uh, it, it saddens me right. incredibly.
0: It, it, it's incredibly interesting to think about um, uh, because it makes us makes me wonder sometimes, you know, what where did we go wrong? Right. What have yeah. we done? So we we can come back yeah. to that. Oh, we mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm confused because I thought that Brown, Brown v. Board in 1954
1: was supposed to have desegregated the schools. <laughs> right. How how interesting <laughs> is it that schools are now more segregated than they were? But that's a different right. conversation. Yeah, it is <laughs> right. Um, so So Copeland, I'm curious to hear more, and I think, I think you've already begun to touch on mm. this, but it really mm-hmm. sounds like your personal educational experience was um, for you uh, uniquely transformative, uniquely significant. Um, you talked about how you had a much more integrated experience um, going to school mm-hmm. uh, in this in this region. Could you speak a bit more about that about about the role that education has played for you personally?
2: sure I mean I I really – Biltmore School was very formative um, for me, and um, and I knew by fifth and sixth grade that there were real disparities. Even though the classroom was integrated, I, I knew that um, my classmates, especially the young men of color in my classroom, got treated differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 i remember being very bothered by that then um i'll never forget uh, we were all going to get paddled for something and uh, our principal said you know if your parent can come down by 3:30 uh you won't get paddled and it was the first time that i saw my mom go down to the principal and say you can't do that cuz mm-hmm. some people's parents work till 5 you know that mm-hmm. that 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 there was the parents that could show up at 3 um that the disparities were very clear mm-hmm. then um and you know i'm grateful um that i had uh, a strong public education and there were things different now i mean there weren't ap's there weren't there wasn't this um anxious uh academic push um Mm. that i think is another place where we see the largest you know the resegregation our our ap classes are our most segregated part that's what our students tell us and that's the lived reality Um, so for me um yeah that that growing up and having the opportunity uh for a public education asheville was was very transformative Mm. and i I um I'm grateful.
0: And one, you know, in Copeland, I can't help but think that one of the ways that things were different uh, when we were growing up is it, it, especially if I look at my own community, the community mm-hmm. of Shiloh in South mm-hmm. Asheville, you know, it was a much stronger community at the yes. time. And mm-hmm. um and somehow that's that's not the same today. And there's so many people who are out there in those communities. I mean, just recently, we had the opportunity to recognize two major community leaders uh, through a uh, conference that we run here in in Asheville, um, but uh, Miss Sophia Dixon and Miss Norma Baines in the Shiloh community who have worked tirelessly to, to continue to be active in that community but it's not the same as it used to be and now be and it makes me wonder about uh, policies that have been in place that have really helped to kind of fray uh, the sense of community mm-hmm. in some places mm-hmm. so I know that that was different mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about you you have recently been named the executive director of the Asheville City Schools foundation mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about the foundation and its work
2: sure um, so the Ashley City Schools Foundation was uh, founded in 1988 and 1988 interestingly enough um, as Nicole Hannah-Jones the racial equity reporter for the New York Times uh, shared with us when she came to UNC Asheville a couple years ago that 1988 was the time nationally and perhaps here too where the racial achievement gap was the narrowest Mm. and um, it was at that time that the foundation started and the mission then was really um, Stated as it was to promote continued educational excellence in our Asheville City Schools, second century, um, because the city schools were founded in 1887. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a great, interesting story as well that a lot of people don't know. It is. Um, But so the foundation was started uh, to provide a vehicle to secure and channel private funds Mm -hmm. into um, our schools to support creative and innovative educational programs. About 14 years into um, the foundation, we were really doing scholarships and teacher grants. Hmm. And and we moved into doing um, a history project in 2002, which was really hmm. interesting to look at the history of Asheville City Schools. And the hope was that that exhibit would From that project would be a place to talk about racial inequities, Mm -hmm. and um, I think that was a turning point where the mission began to change. Rather than let's just bring money into our schools, we need to make sure that we have educational excellence for all our kids, Mm -hmm. and that that mission has shifted. Um, And I'm proud to say that now, not only do we do teacher grants and student scholarships. But community engagement and racial equity work has been something that our board uh, started in 2012. Mm -hmm. Looking at diversifying, uh, having a diverse and inclusive board and began looking through all our grants and our programs through an equity lens, Mm -hmm. which I know Mm -hmm. means different things to different people. But
0: you have to be intentional about Mm -hmm. it.
2: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
1: And Copeland, uh, you kind of mentioned it in in the comments that you just made, but one of the one of the flashpoints, um, one of the longstanding, I think, flashpoints in conversations about American education has to do with the so-called Achievement gap, yes, which which other which others refer to as the opportunity gap, yes. um, and there's there's clear evidence that I would say since 1954, um, that gap has has steadily widened. Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts about why uh, mm-hmm. that gap has 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 grown so large now, why it's such a gaping problem in American education?
2: Mm. And you know, Dr. Darius Stanley, who's on our board from Western, um, he also illuminates this gap is a gap between community and schools. And I think there are a lot of reasons in Asheville why there's a gap mm-hmm. between community and schools. And, and we can look back um, again to when our schools were founded. It was the black community that actually brought out the vote to establish Asheville City Schools in 1887. If the black community hadn't come out to vote, it only passed by two votes. Right. We wouldn't even have Asheville City mm-hmm. Schools. So we don't talk about that. And we don't Talk about you know who bore the brunt of integration mm. and how poorly our school system handled that whole process, right. and um, so I think there's a gap between community and and schools. Um, I think that the racial achievement gap, um, you know, there there are a lot of components of why it happens. I think I think one big idea that that we are trying to delve into more is not laying this gap at the feet of black students and black families, but looking at how white folks perpetuate the gap, consciously and unconsciously, by hoarding resources within the system. And um, I, I think that... The gap has widened in Asheville. Also, it's much bigger than education. I mm-hmm. think housing and gentrification and what happening with redlining—we are reaping what we sowed as a city. All right. All right. And um, so, I, I think it's complex, and you know, there are a lot of folks that will say it's intentional.
0: Well, this, this, uh, this, this. A idea about a gap between communities and schools. This is the first time I'm hearing that. Mm. I'm very interested mm-hmm. in in something like that. We'd have to come mm-hmm. back and talk about that mm-hmm. and why that is the case. Mm-hmm. You know, because as a historian. Yeah, you know, I'm in looking at the late nineteenth century and knowing ha- the importance that African American communities placed yes. on education. There was a strong connection between the community and the school, and so to hear that there's a gap between that's a very interesting yeah. uh, way to kind of look at that and to think about it. And and I would love to to explore what the cause of that mm-hmm. may be. Mm-hmm. But I'm also interested. Um, copeland in finding out through the foundation so Mm -hmm. how is the foundation participating in these conversations uh with regards to the achievement and Mm -hmm. opportunity gap Mm -hmm. and what are you hearing in those conversations Mm -hmm. are you hearing some big ideas come Mm -hmm. out and if you are what are some of the ideas that you're hearing
2: well i think that um starting with that first 2002 history project and then um in 18 we had a choosing equity series which is a four-part community engagement series one of those forums was when nicole hannah jones came
0: you know in in, in, copeland i'm sorry to interrupt you but i'm curious i'm curious here because i'm interested in this 2002 history project too were people surprised by what what you uh you all presented with regard to just the history of, of the school system itself?
2: Well, I, th- I think that's what's really interesting, is that I found this history project buried under an, about three big notebooks in the Alumni Center archive room. at the, And so this project never came to fruition. Mm-hmm. We never had – I mean, th- there are many recorded interviews with Stevens Lee graduates that um, this is a Duke inter- intern and a UNC Asheville intern who – Um, started this project but again when internships end and so Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting um, that I found this a bit buried and I think it's um, there's a real move right now for us to bring this to light to establish a history of Ashville City Schools mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, exhibit in our alumni center that really lifts up the the, the true history yeah, of, of all our of all our schools. I,
0: I'm sorry for interrupting Not at but all. I was you know you've mentioned that a couple of times and yes. I wanted to to get yes. that in. <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> absolutely. So I think these community conversations, I mean I, I think the general tenor right now is that folks are tired of talking. Um, and folks want action and we're at a we're at a critical time that um, and, and I think the foundation, again, starting in 2012, we started having conversations about equity and the racial achievement gap at a time where a lot of folks didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a lot of talk, but sometimes talk strangely things the talking does, there's some fruits to that and one is in 2017 when we were looking at the qualifications or the characteristics of our superintendent that we wanted to bring in equity was not in the top 10 Mm -hmm. now two years later in 2019 it's in the top three from our community forums parent surveys teacher surveys student surveys so i think that community conversations do bring awareness and i think What's true um, is that there is a significant amount of folks in our community that are no longer in denial about the disparity between who we say we are in, as Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and
0: <laughs> and, and who we
2: and the reality of who we. Mm. What we do and our actions and where we put resources, and I think when you get a critical mass of folks that are no longer willing to be in denial about that, I think that's when true change comes. Can't and happen. I and I and I think that is we are on the precipice of that change. No I think we we can't just be the number one place to retire or drink beer or visit. <laughs> we we've got to be the number one place for all kids to grow up, not just the privileged few. Mm-hmm. And until we are that, um, we we we're not who we say we are are.
1: and and thinking about some of these important conversations that are going on Copeland uh, one conversation has to do with the impact of desegregation um, on the black community both both good and bad Mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear have you been following those conversations um, and where do you sort of fall down on that on that on that is that whole issue of the impact of of desegregation on african-american children in education Mm -hmm. particularly Mm
2: I mean I, I think there are folks like Commissioner Whitesides who's who's been mm. so instrumental in talking about um, Stevens Lee and the and again that that all encompassing is as, as Mr. Whiteside said, you know, when I got in trouble at school, my teacher would say, All right, Mr. Whitesides, at, at uh, choir practice tonight, I'll be talking to your mother. And so community. to me, that community that yeah. you're right, that mm. gap wasn't there. I so I, I think we haven't done the kind of truth and reconciliation about what happened when we destroyed all the black schools in Asheville, and we forced black students to go to Lee Edwards, to an all-white school. Um, and at the same time, we were destroying black businesses and black communities. And um, I think there is argument that that we haven't had an excellent education for kids of color since that. I mean, there mm-hmm. there's certainly folks that um, – that say that we we are we have not done our children a service um, in, academically. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of talk about our magnet system, which is part of a desegregation order, and and is it really working? I mean, if you look at. Um, test scores alone, you've, you've got to wonder, is, it, is, is the magnet system working? But we were just at the Color of Education conference in Raleigh um, last weekend. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates was the keynote. And no one was uh, – there There were still a lot of questions about that, mm-hmm. of really is the system that we have, um, is it working um, the system in Asheville and other communities right. that are, are struggling with these same questions. Yeah,
0: it's hard. To, you know, these you know, and, you know, as scholars, you know, Marcus and I are really kind of dealing with a number of people are. And I find it so interesting that we're finding a number of students who are kind of taking on this issue mm-hmm. of what was the real uh, benefit and, and the impact of um, of desegregation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Copeland, I'm, as you were talking, you, you're kind of stimulating other ideas in my head and I think about you know the breakdown of community community is not the same as it used mm. to be mm-hmm. Marcus and I have talked a lot about W.E.B. Du Bois and one of Du Bois's concerns was American capitalism mm-hmm. and how has capital American mm-hmm. the American brand of capitalism impacted you know how community functions and how people are engaged in these uh, in in the system he mm-hmm. i think that he had a real concern that once african americans became a part or got a, the opportunity to participate in the american capitalist system that there would they be would a be loss of some of these things. that's yeah. right you know Yeah, absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, I you know, so it's interesting to think about those things. And I think about the impact of technology while technology is good, you know, and I've given talks on the impact of technology mm-hmm. and, and reminded people that technology can have a benefit. But there's also a downside. There, there's so many dichotomies to these things. So it's, it's quite complex as you as you're making that point uh, here for us here. And I think that that's something for us to think about. I want to go back to the foundation and the foundation's mm-hmm. work and what you're doing to support the educational system here for the, the Asheville City School System. And the foundation's mission statement says that it exists to implement bold strategies, fund big ideas, and engage in commu- engage the community to increase excellence with equity for all children in our schools. Can can we kind of unpack that that mission statement just a little bit more? Mm-hmm. When you when you talk about both strategies, what do you mean, and 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 what strategies are being developed?
2: Well, I think that um, one recent change in focus is looking at fixing systems, not kids. Um, looking at programs and things we fund as changing systems rather than trying to um, do triage work for a handful of kids Mm -hmm. um and I think that's a bold strategy and I don't think it's not easy um I think student voice giving Mm -hmm. I really think that we made a shift last year to lift up student voice because um I keep going back to Nicole Hannah-Jones because it was such a powerful visit. But when she met with 100 students at Asheville High, there was this moment when she looked around the room and she said, I want you to look at these adults. They're not going to fix this problem. You are the generation that is, is going to tackle this. And without shirking our responsibilities as as leaders, I think that we, you know, we, we're giving student voice. As as part of our, uh, through our events and through our board. We have student members of our board. Right.
0: Well, Copeland, you know, time just goes by so fast on this. This is such a big topic, and and as you can see, one that Marcus and I are so completely interested in. We want to thank you for coming in and talking about that. And I think that last point that you made was an important one about student voice, asking the students what they need. Absolutely. And we don't often do that. So Marcus and I, thank you for coming in, and we'll be back in just a moment. Marcus and I want to thank you all for joining us we didn't leave much time to kind of talk but Marcus you and I we talked about education so much we're going to be coming back to this again and so we want to thank Copeland for joining us and just uh, really kind of kid jump-starting us in a conversation that we need to yeah and, and
1: i think what american education has to confront is that this because this country was constructed to be a racial caste system mm-hmm. which which had african americans at the bottom as a permanent slave right. class and until we can confront that i don't know that we'll ever see a radical reform in american education that's right alexander
0: yeah. stephens the vice president of the confederacy Absolutely. you know <laughs> you're kind of touching on what he had to say yeah. so thank you and marcus and i again want to remind you that the waters and harvest show is produced at blue ridge public radio in Asheville, north carolina and
1: you can you can listen to our podcast on bPR.org on the BPR mobile
0: app and on Apple podcast and Google Play follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter and we want to thank Copeland again for joining us today to talk about this important topic and Marcus and I will look forward to talking to you again later take care